Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the latest episode of the Rossafari podcast and our weekly zoo news series. That's right, y'all. We are back and we are here to talk about the latest in zoo news, aquarium news, conservation news. Uh, oh, this episode features a book recommendation, so... um that's exciting for those of you who read. And uh, for, for my illiterate friends, don't worry. There's an audiobook version of it as well. Of course, I am fully aware of the fact that you can, you know, totally enjoy audiobooks without being illiterate. Um, they're actually how I consume most of my media as I spend a lot of time on the road. But um, I guess that's also time that would be taken away from listening to the Rossafari podcast. So I chose to be slightly insulting about it. Is that okay? Is that okay? I don't know if that's okay. You'll uh, have to forgive me for being a little bit goofy. I'm in a goofy mood today. Um, Okay, I know that most of you that listen to this are like, John, you're always in a goofy mood. Uh, But I am recording this on a Tuesday, sitting in Sarasota, Florida, and um, literally just kind of waiting for Tropical Storm Elsa to decide whether she wants to hit land and and blow up the world. Uh, Should be interesting. Our show is canceled for tonight, and that, like, basically never happens in the theater world, un- unless it's a real emergency situation. And um, so, yeah, I'm kind of just curious to see what this is all going to be like. It's also so strange, because originally Elsa was supposed to hit land yesterday, and um, she didn't. And it's actually really beautiful out right now. And yesterday, I was at the Clearwater Aquarium, and walking around outside, and everything was fine, and... It's very weird waiting to see if this huge storm will hit or not. But uh, yeah, that's it's just kind of what life is right now. And so I thought, hey, I'm going to record this podcast a little earlier than I normally do for, for Zoo News and get it uploaded so that that way, if we lose all of our power and on Internet and everything, I can I can still share this with y'all. So a quick reminder, uh, if you see any zoo or conservation type news stories that you think would be interesting for one of these episodes, you can tag me in them. Uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Ross Safari, but you already know that and follow them, right? If not, go ahead and do that. And also make sure you're subscribed to the pod on whatever pod app you're listening to. Uh, or you could just email them to me using the address rossafaripod at gmail.com. You'll get to hear your name at the end of the episode and all get to do less research and less work, which is uh, pretty much a win-win as far as I can tell. So uh, yeah, we will get to the Zoo News in just a minute. But first, here is a word from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. 
Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com slash studios. And yes, in case you were wondering, I did put that music together as well, and uh, I had way more fun doing it than uh, than I should, especially for just an ad read song. But uh, I don't know. I really like bossa nova music. Uh, I'm actually talking to a friend about making it a, a little bit funkier down the road. We'll see what happens. But without further ado, here is this week's Zoo News. One, two, three, four. Oh, there's a funky monkey. Treat all right so we start off zoo news this week uh at the oakland zoo again you know i think the oakland zoo is actually the facility that has been on zoo news the most that i've never been to or gotten to do an episode from or anything it's uh it's kind of an Incredible the amount of work that they do in the uh, veterinary field, especially. This is, uh, I think, this is the fourth or fifth time that Oakland has made it on Zoo News, and it is all for veterinary stuff. It's pretty cool. Uh, and this week they're here because they have started administering their experimental COVID 19 vaccination for their animals. This is a new and different vaccine than obviously any of the one that humans are getting, but also than the ones given to a couple of primates and big cats at a few other facilities that we've talked about on here before. This is clearly the next step in a true return to normalcy in the zoo world, and um, let's just remember that, uh, you know, if a mountain lion can get their COVID vaccine, so can you. Go do that, y'all, if you haven't yet. And now we turn to the worst news of the week. And this is coming out of Madison, Wisconsin and the Henry Villas Zoo. The director of the zoo is facing criminal charges as well as a civil suit over supposedly being sexually aggressive to a subordinate in a Seattle hotel room at an AZA conference in 2018. Rhonda Schwetz is the zoo director in question, and she has pleaded not guilty to a charge of assault with sexual motivation in Seattle Municipal Court. Director Schwetz has been accused by Graham L. Baines, an orangutan expert, and he has sued her as well as the executive staff and board of the AZA. This is where this one can get really, really messy, y'all. Basically, the story breaks down into two parts. First of all, at an AZA conference in Seattle in 2018, Schwetz has been accused of some seriously inappropriate behavior. That is obviously incredibly problematic and would make the news on its own. But these things do happen. Bosses do make bad life choices with this kind of thing. And, um, you know... Hopefully everyone moves on and the person is fired and, um, you know, charged and arrested and, and sentenced and all of those good things. And then hopefully healing can begin. 
In the second part of the lawsuit, however, Baines claims that he reported the incident to the AZA after he was in a position where he no longer reported directly to Schwetz, and that the AZA began to retaliate. At the time, Bates had taken a job as director of conservation at the Brookfield Zoo in Chicago, but when he started his first day on the job, he was suddenly told by people there that they had heard bad things about his character from the AZA, and by the end of the first week, he was fired and escorted out of the zoo. Now again, all of these are just allegations at this time, but... If that is true, and if uh, people at Brookfield and also people in the AZA decided to attack a victim's character, um, this is going to be a big deal, and we are going to see some serious changes happening at the AZA because of it. We're going to be following this story as it develops and reporting on it as regularly as is possible, uh, even though it's oof, just really uncomfortable. Regardless of the specific outcome of this case, however, it definitely looks like it's time for the AZA to take a look at its internal policies and some of its leadership to make sure that they appear unimpeachable when situations like this arise in the future. But now we move away from the negative story to a way to lift up somebody who you know at your zoo that is a positive influence and an incredible champion for animals. The American Association of Zookeepers is currently accepting nominations for their Keep Calm, Zoo Keep On champion. To quote their post, do you know a keeper that stays late for an unscheduled procedure or works through the night caring during a natural disaster, caring for animals during unforeseen circumstances? Maybe someone who has readjusted their day to help with managing zoo lines? Zookeepers are experts at improvising, adapting, and persisting. No matter what they face, zookeepers keep calm and zoo keep on. Chapters, facilities, teams, or individuals are challenged to nominate their peers that emulate the title of Keep Calm, Zoo Keep On Champion. Nominees are due via email to nzkw at aazk.org by July 14th with the subject line NZKW 2021 Contest. So... If you know a zookeeper who is extra dedicated and extra passionate and even more so than all the other ones who are amazingly dedicated and passionate to begin with, that's how you nominate them and, uh, you know, let them know that you really appreciate the extra work that they do. Our next story is just a really quick one from Zoo Knoxville. As you know, many zoos have adapted to the COVID-19 crisis by, amongst other things, Installing free dispensers of hand sanitizer. Well, Zoo Knoxville has decided to turn one of those into a free SPF dispenser. That's right, y'all. If you forgot your sunscreen when you go to the zoo, Zoo Knoxville has some in a dispenser that you can just have and use and, you know, stop yourself from getting skin cancer. 
This may not seem newsworthy to some of you, but anyone who has ever been to a zoo with me knows this is incredibly newsworthy because I suck at remembering sunscreen. Y'all, I'm literally playing in Florida right now and have forgotten sunscreen on more than half of the days that I have gone out. Don't worry, I'm being careful and I always end up buying some more, but like, that's just craziness. So congrats to Zoo Knoxville for this very simple but very cool idea that can help everyone who comes to the zoo. The Prague Zoo recently announced a new echidna puggle, which is just an amazing phrase to say, as well as a really adorable animal. This is especially newsworthy as the Prague Zoo has kept echidnas for around 60 years of its history, but this is the first puggle successfully birthed at the zoo. As a matter of fact, in the whole of the previous century, only one echidna puggle was raised at a zoo in Europe, and this century so far there have only been three. Congrats to the Prague Zoo for this incredible and unique baby animal. The Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago recently announced the findings of its animal welfare science program at the zoo in relation to whether the animals were happy or sad to see guests again after the COVID-19 closures. You can find the full results of the study at lpzoo.org. However, a quick recap is that basically nothing changed that much. Many species showed no changes at all, and some species showed minor changes kind of either way. For instance, some animals are now spending time closer to the glass, kind of reobserving and re-getting used to uh, seeing their human friends again. Others, when people weren't around, were a little more willing to explore their exhibits a little more fully, but all of these uh, situations were incredibly minor. And the biggest takeaway from the study is that there were no disturbing uh, or stressful related behaviors related to people coming back to the zoo. This is one of those no news is good news situations because obviously if animals were showing much more relaxed behaviors when people weren't around or much more stressed behaviors when people came back, that would call into question whether or not those animals should be in captivity. The lack of those findings is incredibly encouraging. I loved this line from the article. It said, in our research, one pattern seems to hold true. How we care for the animals has a greater impact on animal behavior and welfare than the presence of guests. This is great news. And I agree with them. That is great news and is why good accredited zoos are such wonderful institutions. But hey, you already knew that. The San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance is at it again, trying to help save yet another critically endangered species. This time, the species in question is the milky stork, and in their habitats in Southeast Asia, there are only roughly 2,200 of the storks left. These creatures and their environment are not yet protected over in Asia, which is a huge problem as people continue to turn their habitats into commercial fish farms and the birds die in the process. In order to help with this situation, the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance has collected all 24 of the milky storks that were living in various North American zoos and brought them to the San Diego Zoo Safari Park in Escondido, California, to hopefully pair up and breed. 
So far, three chicks have hatched, and with other couples having already paired up and mated, there is the hope that more will come in the near future. The hope is that at least some of these chicks will be able to be reintroduced to the wild, similar to the California Condor program that the Wildlife Alliance already helps to run so successfully. Y'all know these are the stories that bring me the most joy when I do these episodes, and uh, this one does not disappoint. Gotta love the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. You know, of all the animals that are known to be escape artists at zoos, one of my favorite species is right up there near the top of the list. Of course, we're talking about red pandas. And in Germany, the Duisburg Zoo has found its missing red panda after a roughly 36-hour search. The panda is named Jang and was found in a treetop on zoo grounds, as is so often the case with panda escapes. And the search used for the panda had some really cool stuff, everything from volunteers with binoculars to thermal imaging cameras, and even a thermal imaging drone that flew over portions of the woods trying to find the thermal signature of the panda. Once spotted, Jang was easy to collect and take to the vet hospital where he was given a clean bill of health and put back on exhibit. It appears as though the escape may have been unintentional, as some tree branches had grown longer than the zoo staff realized, and Jang may have been out on the end of one when he was able to get out of his enclosure without fully realizing what he was doing. The tree in question was pruned, and Jang was placed back in his exhibit where he seemed happy and content as always. The AZA has announced a visitor photo contest called My AZA, in which you can submit a photo from your visit to an AZA-accredited zoo or aquarium from July 5th to the 19th to be entered. Y'all know I'm going to be posting something for this. Anyway, if you, like me, like taking pictures of animals at zoos or aquariums, and uh, you have a particular favorite, go ahead and enter. Unless you think it might be one of mine, in which case, please, stay away from this contest and um, let me win? No? Okay, well, in that case, then go to at zoos underscore aquariums, which is the official AZA Instagram page, uh, for more information. May the best photographer win. Please be me. Please be me. It's, it's not going to be me. And finally, this week in Zoo News comes my book recommendation. There is a book that was published in Germany, in German, in 2019 that has now been translated to English and released in America and probably other English-speaking uh, countries, like England, and apparently Australia, as I learned in Renee Howell's episode. Who knew? Anyway, the book is called The Zookeeper's War, and if you are into history, you are going to love this one. The Zookeeper's War is about how a battle between two zoos in Cold War-torn Germany became proxies for the larger Cold War that was taking place in the country. As you read it, you get to hear all about just not only the, the proxy thing that we're talking about there, but how zoos worked back in the 1950s and 60s. The way animals were obtained and treated and housed and... There's some really cool stuff. There's also some stuff, I mean, we've said on this podcast many times that uh, there's no way I would be doing this podcast, you know, a couple decades ago. And uh, there are some of those stories, too, which are a little bit cringy, but also fascinating. 
it's kind of just a really great analysis of that whole time period and how zoos worked. And um, I'm digging it. I'm digging it a lot. I'm, I'm about three quarters of the way done with it right now. And uh, it's it's really interesting. It's a great look at German politics post-World War II and uh, really how, how zoos worked. The best thing about it to me, though, is that through it all, there are zookeepers doing amazing stuff, making sacrifices, and doing everything in their power to take care of their animals. And um, as much as the industry has changed in a lot of ways, mostly for the better, that's clearly one way it hasn't. And it does my heart really good to read those stories. So if you have some time, check out The Zookeeper's War by Stephen Conti. Conservation! Conservation! News time! Oh yeah! All right, let's start off with some Red Panda conservation news. First of all, the Red Panda Network, who y'all may have heard about once or twice on here before, has another really cool uh, kind of advance in their technology that they're using to help save red pandas. Um, one of the big things that they have to do is go through literally thousands upon thousands of photos from their various camera traps in Nepal and just determine whether the picture in question is a panda or not a panda. Um, it takes roughly two months for the camera traps in Nepal to take, get this, 55,000 photos. Then each photo has to be checked to determine whether or not it's a red panda or some other cool species or like a leaf that blew across the, the little sensor on the camera. And this problem has been solved with the Red Panda Network web app, a digital platform created by the Project 15 from Microsoft and UCL, which automatically segregates photos gathered from camera traps as either panda or not panda. My favorites are the ones that are panda. The new app not only saves countless hours of manpower, but also provides nearly real-time data on locations of sightings, which allows for a more comprehensive analysis of the red panda population and effective response to potential threats in Nepal. And while we're on the subject of red pandas, my favorite subject, a mother in Chengdu Research Base over in China successfully gave birth to four newborn red panda cubs. This is only the second time in history that a red panda has been recorded giving birth to quadruplets. That's amazing. As of now, all four cubs are healthy and doing well, and as of now, I have four more reasons to head over to Chengdu like I've wanted to for a while. Meanwhile, over in London, the beaver went extinct in the wild 400 years ago after being hunted for their fur and an oil that they produce. Now, there is an effort in place to rewild London with beavers. A group named Citizen Zoo, which is not a zoo, but is made up of citizens and is a rewilding organization, has put in place a plan to reintroduce beavers into the waters of London, especially in the Tottenham region. 
Ben Goldsmith of the Department for Environment, Food, and Rural Affairs in the UK says that beavers have a vital role to play in breathing life back into the terribly depleted natural fabric of our landscapes. Beaver dams on smaller streams and creeks also help to reduce flooding and drought. We must have beavers back living free in all of Britain's river systems, including in our capital city. Yes, that's right. While the original plan is to release beavers into the countryside, there are also moves currently in place to return them to city centers where they will create wildlife corridors by turning ugly canals into verdant wetlands. Given that beavers are a keystone species, meaning, if you don't remember, that they are a harbinger of biodiversity and a sign of a healthy natural environment, the hope is that the beavers will be able to do what beavers do and thus bring back a more natural environment to both the countryside and urban centers of England. Meanwhile, back over in the States, you know, it's often believed that the more progressive states, uh, often led by Democrats, are the ones that are going to be the most worried about the environment. However, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has signed into law the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act, which creates incentives for conservation and sustainable development while sustaining and conserving the green infrastructure that is the foundation of Florida's economy and quality of life. The legislation secures access to habitats for wide-ranging wildlife, including Florida panthers, prevents the fragmentation of critical lands, protects the headwaters of major watersheds, including the Everglades and St. John's, and helps to sustain working farms, lands, and forests, and preserve lands and waters to protect coastal estuaries. Many conservation organizations, including National Geographic, were pushing for this law to be passed, which honestly kind of makes me surprised that it was. I, I like to think that it's because I was down here in Florida and it's, it's the Rossafari effect that got this passed. Okay, it's probably not that. However, I am really proud to see this amazing sweeping legislation pass in an area that many people think might not be so worried about wildlife conservation. Oh, and speaking of the area that I'm currently in, um, did y'all hear that the Gulf of Mexico was briefly on fire earlier this week? I just, I can't. Uh, the fire has been put out, but apparently a pipeline ruptured, and that led to literally, and there, there are photos of this, the Gulf of Mexico being on fire. So that's bad. And frankly, I feel like I don't need to explain to all of you why that is bad um, or tell you any more about it. I'm, I'm sure you've seen this, and if you haven't, you can look it up. Gulf of Mexico, on fire, not hard to find. But here's what is bothering me, and here's what is making this Rossafari conservation news worthy. I keep seeing people posting memes now, and it's really ratcheted up since the you know Gulf of Mexico was on fire – Basically pointing out that because corporations are doing so much damage to the world, that all of the efforts that we undertake to make the world a better place are stupid. Things like reusable shopping bags, reusable water bottles, all that stuff. Why does it matter, go these memes, if corporations are just allowed to do things like set the Gulf of Mexico on fire? And look, y'all, I get it. I really do. Sometimes... It's all so much. It can be so frustrating. But the truth is that the more individuals that take small steps, the better we are doing 
as a world. And do we need corporations to get on board? And do we need politicians to come up with laws that fight those corporations? Yes. And is this a battle that we are just losing badly right now? Of course it is. However, it has to be said, there is no reason for complacency on our part just because other stuff is going to crap. Even if there's only one sea turtle out there that hasn't eaten a plastic bag thinking it's a jellyfish because of the reusable bags that I've used, to me, that's worth it. it it's not like we're asking people to make huge, crazy sacrifices here. So uh, I know it's tough, and I know that when we see stuff like this, it's very possible to feel defeated. However, I truly believe that we really have to suck it up and keep doing what we can while also being inspired to go further, write to our politicians, vote for people who are going to worry about environmental effects of companies more than the bottom line of those companies, and take the other steps necessary to fix these bigger issues. Doesn't mean you can't use a reusable water bottle at the same time, y'all. And that leads me to the final story for conservation news this week. Uh, I mentioned this last week in Animal Holidays, but I, I want to go a little more in depth. Uh, there are many different conservation organizations that are united around challenges trying to encourage people to have a plastic-free July. And I know that's very challenging. And um, in fact, I admit I've, I've already failed one time. I had too many groceries for the amount of bags that I brought, and I didn't even see that uh, the people bagged some of them in a plastic bag. I, I was going to argue against it, but I was too late, so I admit I have failed. But I am still making the effort. It's just, it's a great way to try to have one month where you don't use any one-use plastics, right? And that's a good thing. And you know what? It's okay if you fail. I'm not embarrassed to admit that that happened. I'm just happy to admit that I keep trying, and more days than not, I'm succeeding. Remember, y'all, we don't need a couple people to be truly perfect when it comes to conservation efforts. We need everyone trying their hardest and celebrating their little victories to overcome the issues facing our planet today. In other news. Citizens of Washington, D.C., Pennsylvania, Florida, Delaware, Indiana, Kentucky, Florida, Maryland, Ohio, Virginia, and West Virginia are all warned to please empty your bird feeders and bird baths as a mysterious disease that is affecting birds is being found in all of these states. The most common symptoms of diseased birds include discharge and or crusting around the eyes, eye lesions, and or neurological signs such as falling over or head tremors. This is happening in both young and adult birds. Affected birds are being tested for toxins, parasites, bacterial diseases, and viral infections, but so far, test results have been inconclusive. The issue is also affecting many species of birds. In Pennsylvania alone, it has been reported in blue jays, European starlings, common grackles, American robins, northern cardinals, house finches, house sparrows, eastern bluebirds, red-bellied woodpeckers, Carolina chickadees, and Carolina wrens. Until more details are known, the precautionary measures being recommended by experts are as follows. Cease feeding birds and providing water in bird baths. 
clean feeders and bird baths with a 10% bleach solution. Avoid handling dead or injured wild birds. Wear disposable gloves if it is absolutely necessary to handle the bird. Keep all of your pets away from sick or dead birds as a standard precaution. And to dispose of dead birds, place them in a sealable plastic bag and discard with household trash. This will prevent disease transmission to other birds and wildlife. Y'all, don't forget, COVID-19 started as a zoonotic disease as well, so uh, since we don't know what this is, take these precautions seriously. I know, I know it's hard to break down your bird feeders and your bird baths. I know people really thrive off of seeing those birds interacting with those devices and even feeling like you're helping nature. But in this case, it's time to put them away until we figure out exactly what is going on there. And now for your animal holidays. Don't forget that July is Wild About Wildlife Month and National Bison Month. And of course, Plastic Free July, but we already talked about that. Saturday, July 10th is International Save the Vaquita Day. Tuesday, the 13th is Cow Appreciation Day. And you know I'm going to be thinking about my friend at Cape May County Zoo, Jilly. Jilly Jilly is a cow, Jilly Jilly is a cow, is a cow, a cow that's named Jilly. Jilly Jilly is a cow, and she's a silly cow, so you know they call her Silly Jilly. And if you don't know what the heck that was, make sure you go back and listen to episode 80, Silly Jilly, with Jen Berg of Cape May County Zoo. I promise it's not all just weird songs. There's some, like, cool actual facts about animals and stuff. Anyway, and then Wednesday the 14th is World Chimpanzee Day. And those are your animal holidays for the week. And so there you have it, folks. Another week of Rasafari Zoo News. Remember, if you see a newsworthy story in conservation, zoos, aquariums, animals, anything really, you can go ahead and tag me in it on Instagram or Facebook at Ross Safari. And uh, feel free to email them to me as well, rossafaripod at gmail.com. You can also message me on all the social media apps, all kinds of stuff. Everybody has their way to get me stuff, and it seems to be working really well. Appreciate you all. This week's contributors were Danny Poirier-Larsen, Dr. Natalie Taco, and Kim Cooley. So thank you so, so, so much for your help. And as always, thanks to Peppermint Narwhal for the amazing animal holiday calendar. I really appreciate y'all helping me out with that. All right, y'all, go listen to those Yaswin Stiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.